Welcome to Executive Leadership Development, Sharpening Your Leaderful Edge. I'm Dr. Joni from LeaderfulEdge.com. Let's get started. Can you do well and do good? The answer is pretty clear, believe it or not. We now know that not only can you do well and do good, but to do best, you need to be doing good too. Doing well, which I'm defining as being successful in terms of finances, strong leadership, that you're well positioned for growth, that you know that you're a strong leader. And doing good, we're talking about not only doing good for yourself, doing good for your organization, doing good for the stakeholders, the people who work for you, the people in the community, your suppliers. And in defining community, we want to define that as broadly as possible. First, you want to do well for the people around you, and then, or do good for the people around you, and do well for them, because the more able you are to bring wellness to the people around you, the more good all of you can do. And I know that's counterintuitive to what most of us have been taught. We've all been raised with this idea of profit at any cost, get the next guy before he gets you, all those kinds of ideas. And we're finding out now that those are really limited in terms of how far someone's success can go. If you're gaining your success on the back of other people, by making other people's lives undignified, or by doing things that don't bring the highest good to all the stakeholders around you, then you're leading a very, very limited idea of what leadership can actually produce. And what we're finding out, and we've now got data, and the data's getting better and better, and we've got a long way to go because we haven't had much data. We've had a lot of data in terms of spreadsheet kinds of numbers, how many widgets, at what price, that kind of stuff. But we're just beginning to understand that that's only half the equation. What we know now is that the culture makes a huge difference, that ultimately you will get more, better, different products, productivity, stakeholder loyalty, share prices, profits, when you manage the culture. And managing the culture starts by doing good in the culture. And doing good can really happen by focusing on values. And I just want to really make clear that we are kind of talking about kumbaya in the workplace. That gets a kind of a joking reception. But people think, oh, it's too kumbaya, all these feelings and mushy-mushy stuff doesn't belong at work. Well, guess what? We're finding out that there's soft data to go with the kind of hard data that goes on spreadsheets. I call this the yin and yang of success. So the yang we've known about for a very, very, very long time. That is the hard data, the, the kinds of data that you can put in on a spreadsheet. What we have a lot less understanding about is the yin, is when people feel that they're being treated fairly, with respect, that they can hold their heads high, that they can bring their own set of values to work and not have to check them at the door, that they can be whole people at work. When they're hurting, they can maybe step back a little bit or expect a little compassion. And when they're feeling strong, that you're in a position to really capitalize on those strengths because they're able to bring their whole selves to work. And so how do you do that as a leader without going too 
too soft and too kumbaya because the widgets have to get out. The services have to get out. And so we want what we're looking for here is a balance, just like the old Taoist masters were looking for that yin-yang balance. They were looking for the balance between just, well, between just like what um, electricity is in the wall. You've got your positive spark, which is yin. You've got your negative, I'm sorry, which is yang. You've got your negative spark, which is yin. And you need a good balance of both of those sparks to get a good charge in the wall. Well, that's exactly what you need in terms of leadership. And we're having better and better data on this yin aspect, the soft data on leadership. And it's becoming much easier to connect it to the hard data. So what we're finding out is that when there's a workplace culture that supports values, and those values are personal to uh, work pride, to best practices, to working with one another, relationships in and out of the organization, and in terms of the community at large and the wider world. So we're defining this in a very broad way. Now, we know that when this yin data is capitalized on, when it's in balance with the yang data, that that's when we see the best numbers. And this is so clear now that it's, it's really irrefutable. However, we still have a lot of these old ideas about profit at any cost, about getting that next guy, getting over, keeping information to myself so you won't look better than me, making sure that I have the power so maybe I'm going to pull the rug out a little bit from you just so you know your place. That kind of thinking is archaic. We know that it's not productive on any level. It leads to hurt people, and hurt people have more sick days. They come to the table with a lot less juice and they have a lot less spark to really bring into your business so as much as you may feel like it leaves you vulnerable go ahead and kumbaya a little bit in fact do a little extra kumbaya because we have had so many millennia of this young dominated thinking this uh, balance sheet only kinds of numbers thinking that it's going to take us many generations to really truly find this yin yang positive negative hard soft data kind of balance and so we have this idea that nice guys or gals finish last it's simply not true now I know you can tell me an isolated story and I can tell you isolated stories but what we know clearly surely is that when leaders are respectful when they have mutual respect when they dare to co-create and see themselves as a partner, see themselves as a servant, being a servant leader, seeing this idea of leading from behind, of working for your employees. We know that when people do that with, with clarity and commitment, that they do not finish last. In fact, they're the ones who are finishing closer to first. And the difference is that they're able to maintain at those higher levels. We see blips where, where not-so-nice guys and gals do finish ahead, 
but ultimately they lose ground and they have a lot more uh, back and forth kind of motion, a lot more drama around them. And they certainly don't capitalize on all that's there to capitalize on because people around them, their employees, don't bring their best selves to work. They check a piece at the door. They've cut, they're there with some attitude and that's when you get entropy. And entropy is a loss of energy or that's not going toward your ultimate goals or the ultimate mission of the company. And so when people come to work and the leader is a jerk at any level, no matter how subtle, sometimes it's worse when people are more subtle, that when people face that in a boss, the boss will not get the best from the employee. And if you don't get the best from your employees, you're not going to get the best out of your own career. So what we now know is that culture creates profits. And when you take some time to focus on your culture, to really look at what's it going to take to make this a a rich and juicy and vital and fun and dynamic culture, that that will pay you off really, really well. There's a high return on investment in that time, but that time investment is more chaotic than the kind of time investment you would give to brush things up on a balance sheet. That time investment seems to be longer, so it seem, it's hard to quantify that time. You know, you can have a, an aha moment in a minute, and it can take an hour. It's very different than just saying, we need to figure this out, and you can have a pretty good sense of how long it'll take to calculate something. We, we don't have that kind of calculation, so it's a little bit of a risk. It's a lot of a risk, really, because uh, most people aren't so familiar with the numbers, so it feels riskier than it is to actually take time, look at the culture, look at what's going on for people around you. Are they being nourished by the culture? Because everybody's like a seed. And the question is, are you creating the personal culture in each person's workplace? Is it a safe environment, first and foremost? And then take that to the nth. And is it a rich environment? Is it creative and interesting and dynamic environment? Does it feel good to be there in the physical space? space. Starting there, if you ask those kinds of questions, and then if you grow further in those questions and check out, are people really growing here? Are they doing things on their own time? Am I supporting them and being the kind of people who have the wherewithal on their own time to go ahead and develop themselves as people? Are my employees and am I myself doing something with the arts or with getting outside or doing things that spark my imagination and my intuition and my inspiration. Give yourself that time. Give your employees that time. Give a lot of time for dialogue. Dialogue is probably the biggest key to a successful culture. How safe is it for people to bring all their ideas to the table? How upsetting is it if people bring ideas to the table that aren't accepted? And what can you do about creating greater acceptance in your culture so that that voice that seems really strange, that voice that's hard to relate to, you may find that that's where your biggest pot of gold is if you could just adjust the culture so that it could embrace that voice. Often tends to be the yin emotional voice that we don't quite know how to capitalize on. We don't quite know how to capture that so that we really can take advantage of the wisdom that that 
voice brings. And that's a word that's been left out of the corporate culture for a really long time, is wisdom. Wisdom is a combination of smarts and heart. So if you're... If you know that, hey, this material goes into that, this this kind of infrastructure goes with that, then that's something to know. That's in the head. But And if you know that, gee, there's a lot of bad feelings going on in the office right now. There's a lot of buzz that doesn't feel like it's really taking us forward. There's some kind of funky apples in the mix here who maybe ought to not be here, maybe need to be adjusted in what they do here, or maybe it's time just to hear them out that there's a real dialogue to be had here. When you combine those two processes and that second one is harder to do. It ta- again, it takes time. It's kind of chaotic. You don't always know where it's headed. It's not linear. And so it, it takes a lot of courage to dive into that kind of time because it's very hard to make a direct connection to the return on investment in that time the way it is on your more young numbers or data-driven kind of time. But if you can find that balance of both these kinds of time investments, you will find what people have found through millennia, that keeping this balance between the human being and the human doing is what creates success. Whether you're talking about an ancient indigenous culture or a modern factory or an IT firm or I work at the United Nations, it's just as true there as it is anywhere else. Some of what we do at the United Nations is similar to what I do with leaders in other organizations, in profit and nonprofit driven organizations, and that's developing this muscle for wisdom, being able to flex the leader as their whole selves. So, in other words, if you're doing things that develop your own wisdom, if you're taking time to reflect, if you're getting with masters and mentors, if you're reading, inspiring reading, whether it's directly related to leadership or not, but if you're getting yourself jazzed and juiced, if you're taking some time to be a human being with your kids, with your friends, out in nature, with the arts is a, probably one of the most powerful ways to really up your leadership you'll find that you'll be able to make better decisions. And if you support this in other people, they'll be able to make better decisions. I was recently at Zappos, uh, an online, began as a shoe store online, the world's largest shoe store. It's now way more than that. And uh, they went to one billion in about 10 years. Well, it was the most wild and wacky and interesting culture you could ever imagine. There were services. When you walk in, you see that the um, shoe shining has happened on a certain day. The Taylor is coming on another day. The car wash is happening on another day. That There'll be massages certain afternoons. And there must be I would say about 15 different things on a board that they want people to do while they're at work so that when they get home from work, they can just have lives. They can develop themselves, have have interesting personal lives. And it resulted in an extremely jazzed-up culture, people really dedicated, people dancing their work, which that's a really good indicator. Can you look around yourself and say, hey, people da- are dancing their jobs, 
Well, you know, even the most serious jobs, even jobs where lives hang in the balance, like at the UN, even jobs where uh, some of my clients have had up to 900, 1,000 people working under them. And we're not saying everybody should be dancing like monkeys all day long, but is there a flow? Is there a sense of... of um, even joy, you can go that far. Is there a sense, even love? Now, I'm not talking about lots of romantic affairs, but is there a sense of dignity and respect and a mutual appreciation? Is, is there really a fertile soil there for co-creating with one another? And is there something in that culture that supports people in developing their own wisdom? Because when people make wise choices, you will look good. If you think of it in terms of a spark, you really have to look at what sparks you and what sparks your employees. But what really fundamentally sparks all of us is our values. What kind of values do you have? What kind of values do your employees have? I use some awesome tools for measuring that. And we find that when we can plot these out and graph them out, that they lead to very measurable results in terms of share prices, profits, stakeholder loyalty, all the things you would be looking for. When you know what sparks you, you'll know and what sparks your employees. Figure out what you can do to put in place in your company to charge those sparks and invest in that charge, whatever it takes. And then the next step is to harness that charge. Once people are jazzed up and you've got a nice, vital culture, a lot of vitality around you, then you want to look at, okay, so how do I harness this vitality? Best way to do it, dialogue. When you start meetings, do a check-in. See how people are doing. Ask your secretary what's going on. Because if you know that someone really isn't in shape, maybe a spouse is dying or something like that, if you find out that someone's really struggling, you can adjust your expectations so that not only does that person feel better for working for you when they feel better, but they feel in the moment that they can hold being at work and being in the kind of trouble that's plaguing them in their lives. If you overlook that, you're dehumanizing the person. And in that dehumanization, people just can't show up as fully. Now, if someone's dealing with something as horrible as losing a spouse, they're just not going to be there fully. But they can be there fully conscious of not being able to fully show up. And that's what we're really talking about, consciousness. Consciousness is awareness with a purpose. And so if you have people who are conscious that they just are not going to be on their A-game, if you're conscious of that, if the whole team is conscious that, hey, this guy in no way can be expected to be on their A-game today, well, that's something you can honestly, consciously work with. And we, found, we know now that when you can respect the non-A-game days, build the soil up to support, and soil, there's no accident, it's called culture, so we're talking about your organizational soil, your organizational culture. When that supports the non-A-game days, then you get a lot more A-game days, and the A-game becomes A++ kind of game. So 
in harnessing it, you want to look toward co-creating. You want to look toward what kinds of meetings or situations or things can we do in a day that help us co-create. One executive I know did triage every single day. She ran a very large company, and uh, she said that she pulled people in for no more than 20 minutes, hopefully more like 10, brought in most of her division, and uh, every day asked, where do we need triage? What's the emergency? Now, I have to understand, for people to really use this well, they have to not be worried about speaking up with what's a problem. So she had built a very strong culture, a highly communicative culture, communicative culture, a lot of dignity, a lot of respect, a lot of warmth, a lot of caring, a lot of uh, going the extra distance to just allow people to be the people they were in that day. And out of a culture that supported that kind of authenticity, at the end of the day, when they went to troubleshoot and do triage, they had really amazing input. They identified exactly where things were stuck and exactly what to do about it. And she said that was probably the thing that made her the most effective in the job that she did was getting that kind of input. Well, that's just one example of ways to get everybody talking and, and begin to harness this. And if you base this kind you another way to do it, is, and really a more overarching way, is to look at basing your conversations in values, because values are really what create culture. Look at your own values, and I have a great thing on my website. It's a leadership values assessment. It's very in-depth and very interesting. That's a leaderfuledge.com, leaderfuledge.com. And you can take the self-assessment about your own values and how you show up as a leader, where your values are stronger and, and where they're not as strong. And that's not stronger as opposed to weaker or badder. That's just, um, it measures seven levels of what's important to you. And when you're conscious of that, when you have an awareness of that and have that awareness focused on your purpose of a successful organization, you become a stronger leader. So just taking that quick self-assessment will be really a, a rocket ship in your pocket to help you get where you want to go. And then look at the values of your employees. When you ground dialogues and other communications in general in the language of values and with the lens of values. You tend to circumvent a lot of the political nonsense that shows up in the workplace. You circumvent issues around personalities and all kinds of other things. And what you get is some real honest-to-goodness talk that everybody can respect and most everybody can hear. So after you harness this by talking about values, really having a very good sense of the values on your entire palette, your leadership palette, your leadership toolbox, then you want to look at unleashing it. And unleashing it comes in really talking about vision, co-creating vision with the people around you, with all of your stakeholders, checking in. Again, that goes back to the dialogue. But once the dialogue's clear, the unleashing it becomes very easy because you don't have to bring people on board. You don't have to convince them that you've got a good idea. You've already created that kind of consensus and that kind of 
togetherness, that kind of con- interconnectedness, you've, you've leveraged that the interconnectedness that, that already exists. The question is how consciously can you leverage it? And so by, by harnessing the energy around values, you, when it comes time to unleashing and really producing effects in the world, then you've got a very dynamic, very powerful energetic force to unleash. And that's what pays. So values charge you up. When you build on those individual values and really start to have them develop the culture, that harnesses the values, creates a culture. And when you unleash it and you have a collective vision that you're all co-creating, miracles happen, success rises, and you'll find yourself on a completely different leadership trajectory than you might have imagined. Until next time, all the best. Thanks for listening to Profiting on Principles. I'm Dr. Joni Carley from LeaderfulEdge.com. Please stop by the website and get a complimentary, in-depth leadership self-evaluation. Well worth taking to get a good snapshot of your own leadership. That's at LeaderfulEdge.com and fill in the box for the downloads. 